I start this morning by sharing with you a couple stories of covenantal love. As a Unitarian Universalist minister, I am in professional covenants with my other minister colleagues. And as the country is divided into regions and districts for Unitarian Universalist churches, we meet with our colleagues in the districts and the regions, and we make covenants to support each other in our work, and to help each other, and to mentor each other, and to be there for one another. A number of years ago, I had a really difficult time at the church I was working at. It was losing money and was going through some other difficulties, and I needed to leave. That was hard. And shortly thereafter, um, I began the process of getting divorced, which was also hard. And those two things on top of each other, well, that wasn't fun. Not at all. And one of my colleagues held up our covenant to me in an amazing way. One morning, I opened my email, and the email said, you have been grace-bombed. Grace-bombed. I had been given a bomb of grace. I had never heard of this before. Grace I'd heard of. A grace-bomb was new. And it had a link, and the link was to a Vimeo video channel set up for the purpose, and it contained videos from dozens of my friends and colleagues. And you know what the videos were? They were all saying how much they loved me. What an amazing way to keep covenant. Sometimes keeping our covenant and putting love into action is really, really powerful. You know, and sometimes it's really difficult. More recently, at a church I was serving, I knew a member was going to have a little day surgery. Not a big, huge procedure, but a surgery nonetheless. And I put it on my calendar. And the day for the surgery came and went. And guess who did or said nothing? Me. Guess how I found out I did or said nothing and forgot? Got a call from this member. We'll call her Jane. Jane calls me up, and she doesn't call me up and says, hey, you know, you forgot I was having surgery. She calls me up and she says, hey, can I come in and meet with you sometime this week? Sure. And since she was a very involved member of the congregation, I didn't think much of it until we sat down in the office and she just looked at me and she said, you know, you've been good for our church, and I really like you, and you're my minister, and it really hurt my feelings when you didn't call or say anything. I was like, oh, man. I said, I'm sorry. She says, I know. I just wanted you to know. I still love you. What a way to keep covenant. You know, even when we mess up, sometimes it's the way we're told we messed up and how we're allowed to apologize and forgive that makes it love, that makes it a covenant. As Unitarian Universalists, we believe that this is a central part of our religious tradition. We believe 
All relationships are based on mutual consent, not coercion. We believe that everyone deserves grace and dignity and respect. We are a covenantal people. It's different. It's a whole different way to think about love and religion in some ways. My friend Tom Belote, I read you the little piece from his essay earlier. Well, that, es- that part is from a larger essay where he talks about when he was minister at a congregation in Kansas, he went to this Planned Parenthood support protest. And he was one of a small group of people who were in support of women's right to choose and women's health care and some other decisions they were making in Kansas. And there was a whole lot of protesters on the other side of the issue being very angry and very vocal. And they heard there was a minister present who was supporting Planned Parenthood and sexuality education. They came over and they grilled him. And he said, well, what do you believe about the Bible? And Tom said, that's a creedal question. We're a covenantal religion. Well, what do you believe about Jesus? That's a creedal question. Ours is a covenantal religion. Well, don't you believe you're going to go to hell if you participate in this? That's a creedal question. We are a covenantal religion. And very deftly, he stayed in covenant with her. Not getting mad back, saying, no, my religion is about how we're in relationship with each other. And he went on to say, my religion says I stay in relationship with people by saying that they get control of their bodies. and They get to make their health care decisions. And these people who are angry with them, they didn't get it. Because their whole approach was, were you living up to a certain belief? And his whole approach was, am I in relationship correctly with everybody? That's the difference between creed and covenant. It is about relationship. And we can say love is the spirit of the church. But sometimes that's really general. You know, English can be a very specific language. There's a reason it's used in the scientific community. There's a reason it's grabbed some international place. And it's not all because of conquest and colonization. It's partly due to the kind of language it is. And yet there are places where language is not speci- our language English isn't specific at all. There are communities in North America, in Scandinavia, they actually do have multiple words for ice and snow. Because there's different kinds. And we know that, especially living here in New England, but we just say snow and ice, right? Love's one of those words. In English, we just say love. In the Greek New Testament, there's three words that are used for love. One's eros, erotic, sexuality. We'll talk about that next week. And the other is philos, which is the love you have for your family and friends. And one is agape, which is what we mean when we say the spirit of love, the spirit of life, the spirit of God, that kind of love. That overarching, everyone's included, everyone's good enough love. And we can say we believe in this and we want to practice it. And yet, it's hard to figure out exactly what that looks like in practice. There's a part in the Christian scriptures that says love is patient, love is kind, it doesn't boast, it doesn't envy, it's not self-serving, it's not disrespectful. Yeah, that's good stuff. 
All right, but what's that look like when you put it into practice? This covenant we recite every week in church was written by James Blake in 1894, and it's said in congregations all over New England. But what's it mean? How do you practice this love? What is love that's not envious or boastful, but kind and respectful? What's it look like? What can we do together as a group to practice our covenant? Yes, I have some suggestions. One is going to seem counterintuitive. One of the ways we can better practice love as a congregation, as a people whose religion is based in covenant, is to stop thinking of church as a family. That may sound harsh or even wrong. But all too often when we think of church as family, it promotes a huddle and cuddle culture or atmosphere. And the most important thing about church is it's not okay, no matter how we go about loving each other, to make grandma feel bad or to make cousin Jane or John, you know, a little bit of a joke because they didn't make the soccer team or get a part in a school musical And when we think of church as family, we don't want to offend anybody. We want to make sure we don't hurt anybody's feelings. And that's a good thing to do, but it can stop us from loving in different ways. Church is supposed to be transformational. Church is a place where we transform ourselves, each other, and then go out and transform the world. And yet, when we think of church as family... Sometimes we lose sight of the larger transformative process in efforts to keep the family happy. The larger purpose of restoring hope and inspiring people to make their lives better and make the world better gives way to just keeping the peace at the family dinner table. We like the image of church as family because we are nice and welcoming here, as many churches are. But we need to be careful because sometimes that can lead to a a culture where no hard questions are asked and no hard challenges are allowed. Because hard questions and hard challenges aren't nice and they might upset somebody. I think it says much of us that we do a good job of watching that here. Other areas we might want to watch when we think of church as family. You know, families are not easy to join. There's only three ways to join a family. You can be born into it. You can marry into it. And you can be adopted by it. And even families that are nice and loving can be hard to get into. And I'm sure all of us may have experiences where there are experiences in our family where somebody's married in or somebody's adopted in or somebody's included, and it's a difficult, rocky process. For us to be welcoming and including and continue to grow and be more welcoming and including, we just need to watch that we're as much about transformation as we are about family. We don't want to ever get the situation where someone feels like they've been put at the children's table at the holiday dinner. And the term family, for some people it's hard. 
Some people don't have a family. Some people are single. Some people's families are sources of pain, either in the past or in the present. So maybe instead of family, we can think of ourselves as church. A place where we work on making the transformative power of that all-encompassing agape, spirit of life, spirit of love, present and working in our lives and in the world. Some of the ways we can do this more effectively with each other is to practice compassionate communication with each other. Direct communication means we don't do what is called triangulation. We don't talk to a third party to say something to someone else. If you have something to say to me, don't tell someone else to say it to me. Speak to me directly. When we triangulate, we lose that direct communication and that honesty that's important in creating the trust that helps love thrive. We try not to take things personally. Somebody behaves a certain way or has a certain opinion or says something, one of our first reactions as human beings is we do just that. We react from an emotional standpoint of where we are instead of being curious and questioning, saying, wonder what's behind that. You know, somebody may very well be angry at us, but not angry with us. And when we can remember that, that helps love to remain at the forefront. We can remember to honor each other's gifts and thank each other for what we contribute. We can promise to acknowledge that we're all on the same team, even if there are ever disagreements. We can promise to uphold confidences and respect confidentiality. We allow that if someone shares their story with us, it's not ours to share again. It's still theirs to share if they wish to or not. We honor each other's limits of time and energy. We realize that life has multiple demands, and sometimes church is not the top of the list, and that's okay. We want people to take care of their lives and themselves, too. We try to say yes to each other whenever possible, but we say no whenever necessary. It's okay to remember that our no thanks and no I can't is just as sacred and holy as yeah, sure, no problem. We can promise to each other that we will support our church with our involvement and the gifts we have to share, like singing. And also by helping to contribute financially to its upkeep. We can all promise that to each other. Some of the things that can get us into trouble when we try to do all these things is our tendency to add interpretation and judgment to what happens or what we observe. Quite often, it's difficult to keep our interactions loving because we operate in our interpretations of what's happened or what's been said to us instead of what happened or what was said to us. We need to watch our tendency to blame other things and other people for things we need to be responsible for. We need to 
Let others know what we want and need. It's okay to ask for what you need, and sometimes we don't. When we speak with each other, maybe we can practice a few things such as, let's observe what's happening. State what we've observed. Name feelings and emotions. State what we need. And then make requests of each other, not demands. And we can do this when we talk to each other, not just from our own point of view, but when trying to figure out where someone else is coming from. When we interact with each other, we can say, well, when I saw or heard you say something, it made me feel a certain way. And I need to know, did you mean that? Or what was behind that? And then when you find out, maybe you say, I'd appreciate next time if you just came and and told me that. Right? And it's also a way for us to ask questions of somebody so we know what's going on with them. When, when you said or you saw something that I did, what did you think? What did you feel? What were you hoping happened, and how might I do better? That may seem like a lot of work to go through to be in relationship and have conversations. But they're all little things if we try and practice them we can make the community stronger because we're all agreeing that we're all trying to do the best we can. We always assume our best intentions, that no one's ever on purpose trying to be harmful or hurtful. And when we interact with each other and try to keep covenant in these ways, we make this a place where transformation can happen. And if we can strengthen the ways that this place can be transformative for ourselves, then we have a much greater chance of being able to take part in our community and help transform the community. And with those in our community, like the folks at Laundry Love, make a real transformation of the world for the better, for love.